This, this, this is you. KUT. KUT, Austin. Stop. This is KUT. I'm Jennifer Staten. For some people, the holidays cannot be over soon enough. They can come with a pretty strong case of the blues, depression, or anxiety that can surge at this time of year. Mental health and mental illness are hard to talk about, no matter the type or duration of the condition. To try and get the conversation started, KLRU's Decibel News Magazine is airing a special later this month called Mental Health, Ending the Stigma. I talked recently with KLRU Editorial Director Judy Maggio and Karen Reynas, Executive Director of the National Alliance on Mental Illness Austin, to find out why the stigma persists and if there's any progress being made. As Karen will tell you, the holiday blues are alive and well, and it seems like when people do have mental health challenges they often get worse or magnified during December. There's so much stress. We're out of our schedules. Um, we're not eating maybe as right as we should be. So that's one of the reasons. The other reason is it just kept coming up when we listen to the community um, in light of things like um, school violence, um, other issues. There have been some high-profile suicides. So we thought it was high time that we took a look at what was going on locally from not only the issues, but what's happening when it comes to solutions. I actually want to talk about language for just a minute before we talk more about the topic. When I was writing the questions and reading and doing some research, I see mental health, I see mental illness, and I want to know what do practitioners and professionals in the field like to use for the appropriate language? Yeah, I know I, that may seem like a strange question, but no, to me, it's actually it's a very important. important question. No, I think it's a really great question because I do, we all know that language is powerful. And so we do have to be paying attention to language. And I think the language is evolving, honestly. I know with us as an organization, because we are the National Alliance on Mental Illness, um, we do talk about mental illness. And I think, um, I think it's good to keep that language in. I don't think that we should shy away from it. But we also like to intersperse it and talk about mental health conditions and mental health challenges and um, it, all of those different languages that we, all those different types of words that we can use to describe what's happening. I also think it's going to be very interesting as we're in the midst of this um, big redesign of the Austin State Hospital. One of the things that we know um, has been happening in our community is because of Senator Kirk Watson, who's been a real champion for that. Um, really becoming the MD Anderson of brain health, as he refers to it. You know, I think it's interesting as the science develops, um, I, I do long for a time when we really do maybe move towards this notion of talking about brain health. Because I do wonder if that we start to embody this health issue, um, if it may not help address some of the issues around the stigma and shame that surrounds it. Because I think right now it still feels to many people, even the people that really get it and understand, there's still a part of us that still sees it as some um, character flaw or some kind of moral failing of some kind, a personality flaw. So I think as we begin to embody it and start realizing these are rooted in the brain and um, that these are real health issues that need to be addressed and that they may be addressed in many different kinds of ways, that I think it begins to touch upon um, the possibility for us shifting the language and the way we think about mental health. Yeah, I wondered if using the word illness in in one small way might get at 
chipping away at that stigma mm-hmm. by identifying it as something that is not the fault, and I'm using fault in quotes, of the person who has it because it is, it's a physical brain chemical condition. It's not something that the person did or a behavior or something that they somehow visited upon themselves. Yeah, I think we have a tendency, again, to shy away from the language, but I do think that that's because of the shame and stigma attached to it. That as we begin to see it as the health issue that it is, I think that that's going to shift. And we're seeing more and more movement in that direction. And I think some of the new research and science that's starting to come out will be helpful. You know, part of the issue is we don't have good diagnostic tools. So therefore, when someone gets a diagnosis, it is based on their actions and thought and behavior versus it's not a blood test, it's not a scan, it's not it's not anything that feels tangible, concrete. And I still think that that's, um, we're, we're ways away from that. But I wonder how that's going to impact the language and the way people see it as well. Well, and this question may circle back to stigma again, but why don't we have better diagnostic tools? Mm, that is a good question. I think one of the reasons is the brain is really complex. So that's one. So um, I think we're constantly learning new things about the brain on many different levels with regards to lots of different brain health issues. Alzheimer's, and um, is, for instance, is a great example. But I do think in the area of psychiatry in particular, we've seen that there just hasn't been the kind of um, funding and support for that particular area of research. That's starting to shift. Um, but it just hasn't been there. I think it's part of the stigma, too. I think that people are so afraid to go get help and acknowledge that they have a mental illness or mental health challenges, whichever language you want to use there. Um, that hesitancy in going to get treatment means fewer people are stepping forward going, I have this, I need help. And then we can't diagnose it if they're not coming forward. So I would like to get a sense of what the mental health landscape is like in Central Texas. Is there data that that tells us how many people in the area have mental illness? How many people are are living with this? What do we know about about the numbers? Well, we know that the numbers are one in five. So one in five people each year are impacted by mental health issues. And that's not a Central Texas or just a um, a, you know, United States number. That's globally, we know that that's the number. And I think it's also important to point out that that's a number that we know is true for adults and children, not we have a tendency to only think of adults, but I know Judy that and the work you've been doing. That was a big surprise to me is mm-hmm. that it's the same for children. And talk about a group of people who really need input and treatment early so it doesn't become something worse. You know? Yeah. And when you figure that if you think about that number, if it's one in five, that means, honestly, yeah. every single one of us knows, loves, cares about someone who's living with a mental health issue. I think the only reason we don't realize the high prevalence rates is because we don't talk about it enough. So there's still, again, so much shame. Um, I often give the example of my own experience of when my daughter was diagnosed with her mental health issue and ended up in a psychiatric hospital. Um, you know, I, I didn't post about it on Facebook you know, so that everyone would know. Um, But I I know 17 months before when my mother was diagnosed with a terminal brain tumor, I did. And it impacted the way people responded to our family because they obviously brought food and gave us lots of support. But it also, I think, impacted us as well, right? 
So when you're in a situation where you're not being open about it, you do become very isolated. So we really have to change that um, because there are lots of us that are impacted, lots of families, um, just like mine, who are impacted. And and there should be no shame in that. It's a health issue. And we need that support from our friends and family during that time when you're going through a mental health challenge, either yourself or someone you love. That's the time you want to be wrapped around with support and love from, from the people you're closest to. Absolutely. As I often say, the best of healing, regardless of what the health issue is, happens in the light and surrounding of, you know, family and friends who um, let us know that we're not alone and that it's going to be okay. And, um, and, and that's really powerful for healing. So when you imagine that that so many families are impacted and yet don't have oftentimes that support system and that many times it sort of magnifies, exacerbates the situation that they're in because as caregivers, if you're caring for someone who has a serious health issue, it, it impacts you as well. And so, um, so that's probably one of the most important reasons again, why it's so important that we talk about and, and talk about the high prevalence rate so that people get more comfortable. That one in five number, that one in five number, I'm going to assume that's, that's smaller than it actually is, and that there are folks out there who are not not diagnosed, who are living with with a mental health situation that we don't know about. Could it be higher than one in five? I don't know. I mean, that's a great question. I mean, I think that's the standard number that's used based on um, the data that we currently have. Is it possible that the numbers could be higher? I guess so, but I I wouldn't know for sure. Um, But that's a much higher prevalence rate than diabetes, asthma, cancer, you know, all those health issues that we're so comfortable talking about. How can families and loved ones communicate more comfortably and more openly when they have a mental health challenge in their family or in their circle of loved ones? How can they also get past the stigma that's still there and and tell people? How do you help them kind of get over that, whatever it is, the barrier that's keeping them from doing that? I'm going to turn that around on you. Because I think we put the onus on those families and individuals when actually I think the responsibility is ours as a whole community to change that conversation and to invite people to talk about mental health in a far more open and positive way. And I think it begins with just each of us. I mean, I think once we know that the numbers are one in five and how common it is, and maybe once we know that mental health issues are very treatable, that the success rates for treatment are just as high as they are for other health issues. And and when we can share that with other people and say, you know, that's actually really common. And um, lots of people get impacted by mental health stuff. So you shouldn't be embarrassed and let us bring you a casserole. Um, So, you know, I think in many respects, we have to begin to do that as a whole community um, to really embolden families to do the same. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to focus on this is to really help change the conversation and introduce people to others in the community from all walks of life, ages, everything who are dealing with mental health issues so that we do destigmatize this this very uh, important part of of who we are as a, as a country and a community. Let's talk about and describe what some of the common myths and misconceptions are about mental health and mental illness. 
Well, and I think it's interesting because we sort of named some of them already just in the context Mm -hmm. of our conversation, which is one, that it's really common, that it's, you know, much more prevalent than most people realize. We have a tendency because we don't think about it to say, oh, that that doesn't happen nearly as often. That's something that happens to other people and doesn't impact many when it is one in five. I think we mentioned already the other one that's really big, which is that those numbers are not for children, right? That that's just adults when the reality is that teens and children are impacted at that same rate. Um, I certainly think that one of the other big ones is that they're not life-threatening health issues. You know, you get a can- you get a call from a friend who's, um, you know, got a diagnosis of cancer and everybody, the first thing you think about is, oh my gosh, we could lose this person. But when mental health is left untreated, we know that in 90% of cases of suicide that we're seeing in untreated or undertreated or undiagnosed mental health issues, and suicides are on the rise. I know Judy is part of this um segment that you guys, you know, did a whole session on suicide. did a roundtable on suicide, and and it was really frightening to me to think about how some of these could have been prevented if, if someone had reached out for help. And then it was also heartening to know that the people on our panel, a couple of them had had been suicidal, but got the help they need and, and are here to tell their story. And I think maybe that leads to maybe one of the other big myths. And I know for my own daughter, it was part of the reason that that she didn't reach out for help was because she didn't think she would get better. In her mind, Mm. she had been doing all the right things. So she was working hard and doing all these things. It's sort of silly because we would never say, oh, you broke your arm, so just bandage it up and (laughs) it'll it'll heal up on its own. You're, You're fine. But it's funny, but mental health, we take a different approach and we feel like if, if we just do the right things and we think happy thoughts or what, whatever it is, but she didn't think that she would get better. And so she felt herself cornered and thought, this is it. So I, I can't live like this. So this is my only option. When the truth is um, treatment does work and what it looks like looks different for every person and recovery is possible. If you had told me eight and a half years ago that my daughter would move across the country at some point to finish up her college education, um, I, I wouldn't have thought it was possible because she was so fragile for such a long time. But last summer, we went to Portland, Oregon to watch her graduate with honors from Portland State. And while I'm super proud of that, I actually talk about the fact that I'm most proud of the fact that she understands she has a lifelong health issue and she knows how to manage it. She knows what the triggers are. She knows how to take good care of herself. And she's well and she's happy. And I think that that's um, another important myth that I think stumbles, creates the opportunity for lots of people to stumble over that and think they're not going to get better. It's important for people to know that they can get better. What are some things going on in Central Texas, treatment programs, practices, organizations? What are some things that are working well in our community to address mental health? Well, I know Karen has some great organizations going on with her with her group, NAMI, and some great programs. I can say one of the things that we're focusing on is the new Guy Herman Center here in Central Texas. And, you know, the last place a lot of people going through a mental health crisis need to be is in an ER or in jail. And in the past, you know, police didn't have that many choices. But now, um, you know, thanks to funding from the St. David's Foundation and a lot of other contributors and making this a priority in our community, there's this Guy Herman Center where officers in the crisis team, if they're called out and someone's in an emergency that's dealing with mental health, they have a place to take them where they can be assessed. 
properly treated. And the best part about it is there are follow-ups. And that person isn't just sent on their merry way. There are social workers who go do well checks on them. How are you doing a week from now? How are you doing two weeks from now? So that's, I think, a real plus in the community that's relatively new. And I don't know if that many people know about it. And I'd say that the other thing um, is probably the presence of integral care, our local mental health authority. And that is true in the surrounding areas as well. You have Blue Bonnet Trails um, that is also the local mental health authority that serves the county surrounding Travis County. But um, almost all of them, and this is true of uh, here in Travis County, have what is called an expanded mobile crisis outreach team, where, again, if you're, um, you know, at home and and there's someone that you're concerned about and and you feel like you're dealing with some mental health crisis but you don't know what to do here in Austin in the Austin Travis County area you can call 512-472-HELP um, that's the integral care call line and the, it's 24-7 and someone with a social work background will answer the phone and kind of help you figure out what are the next steps we need to take. Um, And they can bring someone out to do an assessment there in your home, or they can meet you at a coffee shop or wherever you like. And then they will make sure that you um, get the right level of treatment that you need, the right level of care that you need for whatever it is that you're dealing with. And there are so many people that are not aware of that. But I think more than anything, I'm excited about the fact that you've got great organizations like ours, like NAMI, doing great programming. But then you've also got a lot of collaboration going on in our community. So you've got Integral Care working with NAMI and working with um, other great organizations, Austin Child Guidance Center. And, you know, everyone understands that this is important and we're really working towards doing this collaboratively. I think you have a law enforcement as well. You have folks in law enforcement from Sheriff Sally Hernandez to, you know, our new um, APD police chief who understand how important it is that this issue of mental health get addressed. And also in the schools, um, one of the things I didn't realize when we started researching all this is that Texas doesn't require social workers really in the schools. Some states do. So you have these school counselors who are trying to do all the academic tasks tasks that they have, the testing, the curriculum, all that stuff, they don't have time to deal very often with mental health challenges. So Integral Care has placed, and I think there's 52 local schools now, and we need to have them in all the schools, but they have Integral Care social workers, therapists in the schools that can help children who are dealing with some type of trauma. It might be uh, abuse in the household. It might just be uh, financial issues. But there was someone, you know, now in some of the schools in our area who is there full time from Integral Care who can be a friend to that child, to listen um, and to advise and be a mentor and friend. We met a wonderful little girl out at uh, Beatty Elementary in Del Valley who has an integral care social worker who's worked with them, and it's it's made a huge difference in her family. I love the work that Decibel's done on this segment as I've watched all the pieces come together because I think they've done such a great job of um, giving lots of different people in the community a voice and an opportunity to share the story. Um, because I think so often people are surprised when they encounter someone who they think, oh, not that person. Because again, we're still, we still think that someone who lives with any mental health issue that they can't possibly be successful or be, you know, productive members of the community that somehow they're, um, you know, not well enough that they can do that. But I think what a wonderful opportunity to see people in their wellness, to see them talk really openly and honestly about the challenges, but then what it can look like to recover again with a support system and with all the right kinds of, um, 
care in place. And so um, I just think it's going to be a great segment in sort of giving us an opportunity to share those stories. And Judy, remind us when the episode airs. Yes, it's Friday night, December 28th at 7.30. And then the half hour special will be repeated on the following Saturday and Sunday, December 29th and 30th at 6 p.m. on KLRU. Judy Maggio is Editorial Director at KLRU, and Karen Reynes is the Executive Director of National Alliance on Mental Illness Austin. Thank you all both for your time and discussion today. Thank you. Thank you. You can see Decibel's special Mental Health, Ending the Stigma, December 28th at 7.30 on KLRU. It will re-air Saturday the 29th and Sunday the 30th at 6 p.m. I'm Jennifer Staten, KUT News.